Hi everyone, welcome to my podcast, Life and Money with Christine Tay. My name is Christine Tay. I'm the founder of Tay Financial Coaching, where I help people transform their relationship with money. I am also a LinkedIn coach, helping people with their personal brand on LinkedIn. I also love talking about life and self-growth, since spirituality is an important part of my life. In this podcast, you will hear talks about money, social media, and life. I hope you enjoy the episodes. Please leave a review if you do. I'd really appreciate that. You can check my services and LinkedIn online course by going to my website at www.tefinancialcoaching. That's T-E-H-financialcoaching.com. Thank you. Today's interview is a live stream chat with my client, Blake Hanson, who's also a sales coach with the following topics below. Three steps to sell yourself more effectively. How to create an interview cheat sheet to land your next role. Why the gratitude gap is a secret to unlocking your happiness. How to create content consistently by becoming an expert on you. Lessons that he has learned when he ran for state senate and how we are already in sales. And of course, he shared how our financial coaching work has helped him and his fiance. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you do, I'd really appreciate if you can pause and write me a review so I can reach and educate more people with valuable information from the guests I bring in. Wait, I lost you for a second there. Oh, sorry about that. Now I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing doing well. Yeah, we got uh, ten people. You were uh, pretty yeah. popular today. Okay, it's Saturday, so I think a lot more people are online. So, yeah, thank you for showing up today and being my guest. So, why don't um why don't you introduce yourself first? What do you do? Sure. So, for those that don't know, my name is Blake Hudson. Um, my official title by day, I'm a sales manager at Victory Lab. Uh, Victory Lab is a sales boot camp. Um, we basically, I sell sales to future salespeople. Um, but in my personal life by night, and it's kind of a blend of the two, uh, I help people find clarity in their identity and purpose, um, particularly in their careers, but also in their life, depending on what the problem is. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's very fulfilling work. You know, achievement's great because you get to accomplish things, but fulfillment's great because you get to see those accomplishments play out in the lives of others. Um, today, I'd love to talk to you guys more about, you know, clarity, as I mentioned. Um, Christine, you got some other topics lined up. I won't give it all away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So selling yourself is really important. So, you know, we sell ourselves pretty much on a daily basis, right? To our friends, to right. social media, to anyone. So why don't you tell first, like, you know, how, what are the three steps to sell yourself more effectively? Got it. So, you know, sales kind of gets a, a tricky reputation. Uh, a lot of people see sales as like this kind of sleazy, manipulative work where it's like you're trying to trick mm-hmm. people. Yep. And I'll be honest, I've even, I've even thought about it that way. Um, one of the things that happened to me, I actually went through Victory Lab as a student before I worked for them, was they helped me see that selling is more about uh, solving problems for people. It's just that sometimes they don't know what the problem is yet. So you have to kind of convince them or help mm-hmm. them see their problem from a different mm-hmm. perspective. And then you're providing a solution. With that as context, um, we are always selling ourselves. Mm-hmm. So before I, I went into sales, I was in politics. 
Um, and I was an admissions counselor. So I was selling things. I just wasn't in sales. And what's dawned on me as I've, mm -hmm. I've progressed in my career is that the best way to sell yourself is to, to understand a couple of things. Number one, who are you? Or who, what is your product, right? If you don't have a clear sense of identity, mm -hmm. then how are you going to be able to position that solution, right? The second thing is your purpose. So why are you doing this? For whose benefit? Mm -hmm. Ideally, your customer, right? So you got to speak mm -hmm. to them and their language and the ways that it's going to affect their lives. And then lastly, it's practice. So how do you go about doing it? And a lot of people focus on this. So it's like if I'm selling myself or if someone asks you that question, sell, sell me this pen, they immediately start talking about the the features of the pen. Oh, well, it's, it's thin, it's light, it writes this way. That's how you're going to use it. But you first have to understand, hey, what do you use pens for? Mm -hmm. When do I time you sign something? You start asking these questions and it reveals things about the, the, the actual solution itself rather than just the features of the product. So identity, purpose, and practice. And we can get into those more later. Yep, yep. Okay, so like, for example, even with friends, you also sell yourself to friends, right? So how do you sell yourself to friends? So first and foremost, let me just say right off the bat, a lot of people hear that and they think, dude, I don't need you selling yourself to me. We're friends. You don't have to do that. That's weird. We're selling. Like we're trying to yeah. see, hey, is there a relationship that can be built exactly. here as well, right? So there yeah. is always some sort of selling. Whether it's a friendship, a first date, mm -hmm. anything in between, exactly. family, yep. it doesn't matter. You, you are always positioning yourself. You're presenting yourself. And whether you like it or not, everyone has a perception of you. And you have more say in that than you think. You have more agency mm -hmm. in that scenario than you think. So it's not to say like you're going around manipulating people. What it is, is you are deciding this is who I am. This is how I want people to see me. And these are the ways I'm going to go about doing it. Mm -hmm. Now, what's counterintuitive about selling yourself to friends or in a relationship setting is that it's really not about you. Um, yep. Great book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm -hmm. Really straightforward title, by the way. Yep. And, um, <laughs> you know, one of the things he talks about in there is like, basically, if you help other people get what they want, you can get what you want. And so understanding who they are from this simple as what is their name and saying that because to people that is the sweetest mm -hmm. sound in the world, their own name. Mm -hmm. And then understanding what their motives are and their values. And you become someone that affirms those desires or someone that helps pursue, helps them pursue and accomplish those desires. And so if you're doing that, yeah, you're, you're selling yourself, but you're really just being a great friend. And that is what salespeople should truly aim to do is to be a friend, a support. Yep. Um, I'll put it this way, Christine, a lot of people view selling as we're sitting on opposite sides of the table and we're looking at this thing and I'm trying to get you to think about it this way. The reality is a great salesperson comes across the table and they look at that from the same perspective as you and try and help you see it from a different view. So that, that is what selling yourself looks like in a relational context. By the way, okay. it's still Saturday morning, so I will be eating a little bit. Don't mind me. But <laughs> so okay, when you sell yourself to a prospect, so like, how do you come about that? Because like, I know like I've talked to other you know um sales coach too. Wow. So like you know during my coaching, I was kind of like, oh, do I even need a sales coach or business coach? So one of them is always about hey, when I talk to the 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 prospect, like you know try to get them to close the sale right away on that complimentary. So I try using the tactic, but it didn't feel good to me. Like it was like I felt 
almost lazy. Like I'm like, why do I have to close? So I, cause I want to work with people who actually wants to work with me. Like, you know, like before I used to follow up with my prospects and then like they kind of, most of them kind of ghost you if they're not interested. So I kind of changed my style to like, Hey, if you really want to work with me, I'll just let you come back to me. And then most of the time they usually come back to me. They want to work with me. Like I remember, you know, but before we start working to this prospect, I never felt I pressured you or whatever. So, so like, so what do you think about that in terms of like trying to sell services to a prospect? How do you go about that? Do you believe in like trying to make them close the sale that day or like do you kind of let just let them come back to you? Because like that feels more natural because like when you really I mean, if they really want to work with you, I want to work with people who really want to work with me. So they'll come back to me if they they're interested. So there's in the sales world, there's definitely a dichotomy between um, how do I put this? high transactional sales, like very fast you mm -hmm. know, once you make the deal. Mm -hmm. if you're working for a company like Groupon or Grubhub, like you're mm -hmm. talking to the restaurant owner, by the time you get off the phone, they've signed the contract, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. there's other sales, which is very slow, methodical, typically this is enterprise sales. So say you have some kind of software solution and you're trying to sell to Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. The VP of marketing at Coca-Cola is probably not gonna close a deal in one conversation. Why? If nothing else, he has to go talk to eight other people, right? So there's definitely a difference between um, high velocity and low velocity sales in terms of the speed. Understanding that will help. But the question I would ask you, Christine, or someone asking this question is, what's the rush? If you close this person today mm -hmm. or next, week, or next mm -hmm. month, what's the rush? As long as you're helping them and adding value. Exactly, exactly. I think that exactly. So that's why like, I just changed my tactic because then it's just it doesn't feel good to me. Like intuitively, it you know, I have to go with what makes me feel good as well when I'm trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about um what's this interview cheat sheet to learn your next role? So I guess you help people sell themselves in terms of selling themselves to get hired as well. Christine, I want to go back a second to that previous oh, question. Oh sure. Um the other thing I was gonna say is so understanding the speed of your sale. And knowing that it's not a race, a lot of salespeople often fall into this trap of, we, we call it commission breath. So if you are trying to close someone quickly because you as a seller need them to buy, people see that. That yep. is manipulation. That is, I'm that, not trying to It's energetically. You. People can feel Different. your energy. Yep, yep, right. exactly. So yeah, what, what, a, what a great salesperson does is they're all relational, first and foremost, mm -hmm. right? Whether yep, it's yep. one call or 20 calls. The mm -hmm. other thing, though, is understanding fears and desires. And if mm -hmm. you as a seller are able to identify your prospects' fears mm -hmm. of not having your service or solution and the mm -hmm. desires that they can accomplish with it, then you've already done like the legwork in making that sale happen. So mm -hmm. we're trying to avoid this. Here's how my product helps you do that. Where are you trying to go? Cool. Build yep. a bridge between their goal and your product and build it there. Yep. Okay. So Adam Goodman, who's my LinkedIn coaching client, um, he said, sometimes people procrastinate and have a hard time making a decision, getting started with something new. So what do you have to say about that with people who procrastinate? Maybe they're like, okay, like, I kind of like your service, but I don't. But so, so how, how would you actually handle that? So first and foremost, let me just say this. I'm a big believer that um, the quality of our answers in life is directly proportional to the quality of our questions. Simply mm -hmm. put, if you want better answers in life, ask better questions. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, if someone is struggling to make a decision, they're very hesitant or resistant to talk to you, what you want to do is you say, 
what happens if you don't solve this problem in X amount of time? Mm-hmm. Right? That's with the understanding that you've already identified what the problem is. Mm-hmm. So I, I used to sell finance and accounting and I would talk to CEOs and I would say to them, so it sounds like you guys are really struggling with your accounting system. Um, what happens if you don't fix this in the next three months? And then they would tell me, well, this will break down. I'll have to let this person go. We'll be in the blur- in the red. And so it's like, okay, cool. Now then I just mm-hmm. use that same information to help build the case for, okay, you have established what the urgency is or isn't. Now let's work under that context. So you basically, you, you ask the person to help you help them. It's the same way a doctor, you go see a doctor, they ask you a bunch of questions. Help me help you. They have the answers, they have the solutions, they have all these this knowledge, right? But they need the, the answers from you to provide specific instruction. So that's a great question, Adam. Yeah, it's definitely something that happens with, with sales. Yep. So learn. So basically, learn to ask better questions. Right. So for someone who's struggling with that, what? How can you guide them to know how to ask better questions? So the first thing I would say is just asking questions of yourself. Self awareness is such a tremendous tool, and a lot of people avoid it because they're afraid of what they'll find. Yep. <laughs> so much shit there, right? Right. You know, this great source of self awareness, but like. <laughs> If you're able to ask yourself a hard question and then asking yeah. why, and then asking why again and why a third time. And mm-hmm. as you get into the practice of that, whether you do it in a meditative state or whether you do it journaling mm-hmm. or even with externally processing with a friend, mm-hmm. you're yeah. going to become better at asking questions. The other mm-hmm. thing is becoming genuinely curious. If yep, you exactly. really want to know things from people mm-hmm. or a subject, yeah. you're going to ask better questions. Yep, yep. The last yeah. thing I say is a book. A book that I always recommend to people. Um, it's called The Book of Beautiful Questions. Oh, okay. Okay, let me write and that down. Okay. It's it's a great guide for the, the value of questions, their purpose in our lives, and then how to start asking more effective ones. Okay. Is that the beautiful question? Is that for generally about life or like just is that targeted towards salespeople mm-hmm. or? No, it's very general. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I want to point out like, you know, self-awareness, like some people like they're afraid to look internally because that, yeah, because we might have so much crap we don't want to look at. So that's why it's also very important to practice self-compassion because sometimes we are the most, the hardest on ourselves as well. So we have to remember we're only human. We make mistakes and then, you know, to just like be compassionate about that as we continue to grow in this you know earth school okay so let's talk about the next one the interview cheat sheet so you help people find jobs to mm-hmm. sell themselves okay yeah, so okay we've all been in job interviews mm-hmm. right? everyone's had one if you haven't i promise you you will and mm-hmm. going into an interview not me yet. anymore hopefully anymore. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to go back to corporate um, <laughs> okay so the interview can be very daunting. And one of the things that I tried to do with this cheat sheet, which, by the way, if, Christine, if I can share my screen, I can pull it up for people so they can actually see what it looks like. You can, but then I don't, I'm not sure how clear it is. But go ahead and share a screen. Let's see. Hopefully this works out for everybody. Let's yeah, it's see. not as cool as Zoom. Zoom is clear. Like this StreamYard is not as clear, but you can go ahead and try. All right. So can everybody see this? Uh, one second. Let me share it. Okay. Okay. I can read it. Grateful plus excited. Strength. Okay, go ahead. First of all, it, it's 
it looks very rudimentary. That's because it is. This is something that I scratched out when I was getting ready to interview at Victory Lab. Mm -hmm. You don't need to focus so much on the words written down here as much as you do the sections themselves. And I'll walk you guys through each of these sections. We can leave it up for a little bit, Christine, and then we'll come back to the regular screen. Um, actually, you know what? I can maybe shrink it a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. Let's make it bigger. So the first two words up top, what that was is what emotions, what mood am I trying to convey throughout this interview? Mm -hmm. For me, I wanted them to understand in every answer that I am grateful to be here and excited for this opportunity. And this is great because this is a filter for the rest of your answers. If you are ever struggling, just remember these cues. If for another person, it might be motivated, hardworking. It might be ambitious and compassionate. Like whatever those words are for you, put them there. It could be one, it could be two, three or five, however many, it, it doesn't matter. But I would suggest a couple because it allows you to focus throughout the court context of that interview. Mm -hmm. Now, the next section is strengths. So many people are asked about their strengths, right? Mm -hmm. What are your strengths? Okay, tell me about what you're strong with. Mm -hmm. And strengths are great because what they are is the things that you are going to do and be independent of this role. So a lot of people will mix this up and they'll they'll start talking about, well, I can do this, Y, and Z. I can do this, that, and that. And it's like, that's fine, but you're actually answering another question, which I'll skip to right now. And that is, I put why Blake, but that's gonna be why you. In an interview, you'll be asked, hey, why should we hire you? Why you is the strengths applied. So I'm gonna be tenacious and positive wherever I go. But why me specifically for Victory Lab? Because I have a unique passion for this company because I went through it as a student, right? Mm -hmm. You see how like there's the strength and then there's the application of the strength and the why you. I also have why Victory Lab. So why are you trying to work at that company? It's important for you to have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. I talked about my craft and wanting to get better as a seller and my calling and wanting to help people find clarity. In sales, a lot of times you get asked why sales, but even in other, you know, um, industries, you get asked, why do you want to do this kind of work? Okay. Weaknesses is one that tricks people up. Weaknesses is difficult because a lot of times people go one of two ways. One, they'll start pouring their whole soul out and they'll say, well, actually, I'm just a terrible father and I don't know how to clean. And that's not what they're looking for. And on the flip side, you don't want to give some surface answer that's, you know, I'm a perfectionist. Well, you're just humble bragging. That's all you're doing. What you really want to do when you answer this question of tell me about your weakness mm -hmm. is you want to give a legitimate weakness in the context of your professional life. And then you talk about what you've done to overcome it, not fix it, not eradicate it, overcome it. So if consistency and focus is a struggle for me, I know that it's looked like, and I can give an example. But what I've done is I've tried to keep my goals top of mind. Quite literally, I wrote my goals down and put it on a sticky note on my desk. I also kept a qualitative work log. So it would keep track of the work I was doing and help me maintain that sense of consistency. And so in that answer, I provided you with the answer to your question of what is your weakness. But I've also shown you that I'm self-aware enough to recognize it. And I'm taking the action to improve it. That is an answer for that question. Next is hobbies and passions. This seems a little irrelevant, but why it's important is because people don't hire paper. It's not just about what's on your resume. It's about who you are as a person. 
And so they, even if they don't have things in common with you, they still wanna know you are a robust, complex person. So for me, I talk about basketball in all my interviews. I talk about my public speaking in all my interviews because that's a big part of who I am. It provides color and context for me as a person. Motivations, really important because people ask what motivates you and people get kind of lost during the headlights look with that. You know, for me, it was growth and contribution. I want to grow as a person. I want to contribute to others. That is a motive throughout the course of my life. You have to answer those questions as well. And then this last question is what I call a bomb question. So specifically for me, it was what happened at my last company. But for you, it might be, well, you're underqualified or you don't have the experience. The bomb question is that question that has the potential to blow up your interview. And what you want to do is, is have something prepared. You don't have to have the perfect answer, but just have something. And so for me, when I was answering this question, I wanted to be able to talk about that, which is something kind of difficult, and then talk about, well, I wanted to be better and support my teammates, but I also was craving responsibility and desired diversity. And so there's like the positive things, remember, the ambition that I wanted, the desire. And there's also the things I was like moving away from, right? I wanted more responsibility, so I'm moving away from less. So that is the, the cheat sheet in a nutshell. Uh, I'll stop sharing now and we'll come back home. Um, but yeah, it's something that I created just for myself. But then as I started sharing it with people in coaching calls, it became very evident that this was a useful tool. The last thing I'll say about interviews is this. A lot of people go into an interview and they'll skew one way or another. Mm -hmm. They either allow it to become a interrogation where the person interviewing is just asking you questions and asking you questions and you're sweating bullets and worried, or you allow it to become a conversation, which is what it should be. An interview is a conversation. The best way to make that is to ask questions back. Every good conversation has questions going back and forth. Questions are the building blocks of conversations. So with that being said, don't allow yourself to go into an interview and have it become a interrogation. These are your future coworkers. They are trying to get to know you better. They are not exactly. out to get you. And if they are, newsflash, you don't want to work there. So mm -hmm. be yourself, present yourself authentically, and trust that when you get hired, you can keep being that person instead of having to do your job and be an actor and pretend to be the person you were in that interview. Yep, yep. So lesson learned, always be yourself, self-awareness, know who you are, and then just show up authentically. So someone said, I don't know who this person is. Sometimes they don't show the whole name, but Blake is dropping some serious nuggets. Great show perspective. Yourself, Good job. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the next one. So why um, I love that you have this attitude of gratitude. And I think it's so, so important. I'm a very spiritual person. And then like, you know, I'm all about, you know, every day we have to find things. What are we grateful for? Even for the little things, because it just lifts up your energy. Even with my clients. I mean, as you know, we work together. And like, you know, I, I'm all about, you know, being positive and then, you know, just looking at the kind people. And then I'm in Vegas and then there are, I met quite a few people who are jaded about people or life in general. So I, I don't want to be like that. So it's very important to keep having, be grounded and having this attitude. So why do you think that gratitude gap is a secret to unlocking your happiness? So before I can answer that, I, I think I need to provide a little bit of context around how I discovered this concept of the gratitude gap. And then I can get into its, its value and why it's Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was in a, a role that was... It became difficult very quickly. Um, my quota had, had doubled. 
seemingly overnight. And the opportunities that I had to achieve that quota were cut in half. And so I was basically being asked to do more with less. And that was very difficult for me, as well as my coworkers. And I kind of fell into a habit of, of sulking, complaining a little bit. Um, I allowed the other people to kind of feed into that. And, and there was this heavy sense of entitlement. And it didn't dawn on me until someone had asked me, Blake, how you doing? And you know you get asked that question all the time. But like one out of every 20 times someone asks you that question, you actually answer it, or at least think about it. And so in answering that question, how am I doing, I just started listing off the things that were good about my life. Like just unintentionally, I was like, well, I mean, I guess things aren't as bad as they seem. I live in the city now, I don't live with my parents, I'm not sleeping on a food town anymore. I was dating my girlfriend, I got a new apartment, they gave me a laptop, I get to work from home. They even got free LaCroix. I don't even like LaCroix, but it was free and it was there. So things weren't as bad as they seemed. And I went back to work the next day and I was hearing a lot of entitlement of, why well, should be promoted? I should have this tool and this resource and why haven't they? And it started to dawn on me that those people were kind of killing their own happiness because the gap between where your gratitude is mm-hmm. and your entitlement is will determine your happiness. Mm-hmm. And if your entitlement creeps up above your gratitude, that is your frustration. Because with entitlement, you lose twice. You're frustrated by what you have because you can't really appreciate it. It's lying. Mm-hmm. And you're frustrated by what you've yet to receive. So mm-hmm. you Whereas with gratitude, you win twice because everything you have is great. It's just, just amazing you can appreciate it. And the things that you get are all extra. And so it's just shifting that focus to a place where you can focus on what you have and what you're accomplishing rather than fixating on what you've yet to receive. And I've used this principle in my life in practical ways, in difficult spots, when I'm frustrated, in a moment, I'll try my best to step back and say, what can I be grateful for now? And a great way to practice this concept is to have a gratitude journal. Even Mm -hmm. just text your phone. I don't wanna make this stuff more fancier than it should be. You can text mm-hmm. yourself. You can open up a notes app and just log these things as they come to mind. And the secret is simplicity. You don't have to be like, I'm grateful because I won the lottery. Like it doesn't have to be something so magnificent. You can be grateful for this cup of orange juice. Mm-hmm. You can be grateful yep. for being able to wake up and feel healthy. You can be grateful for so many things. And the key is actually to go deep in those little things. Not just grateful for the orange juice, but the walk that I took to get it. The fact that I have the means to purchase it. The fact that I get to help someone stay employed because I can purchase it. Like there's so many levels to gratitude. And the deeper you go, the better you feel. Yep. Also being grateful for money as well. Like having the money to be able to pay the bills that we can't afford it and stuff. So that's very important as well. Okay. So how do you, Um, I know you also show up on LinkedIn. I, I don't know how often you show up or where else you show up, what social media. So why don't you share more about how to create content consistently? So to be honest, like I used to be very active on LinkedIn, but now since I moved to Vegas, I've kind of been getting very laid back. I don't mainly show up with the live now, but um, yeah, I hopefully I'll get back into it again. But right now I'm kind of just taking my time off. So so why don't you share about, um, you know, how, how do we create a content calendar? How do we come up with new content and yeah, just stuff like that. What do you have to share? So 
I, first of all, I'm primarily on LinkedIn. I've been picking up my Instagram a little bit more. And mm-hmm. by the end of the year, I'd like to try and do a little bit more with like YouTube or Twitter or TikTok, something like that, but primarily LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people um, don't recognize the, the power and value of creating content on these platforms. So whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, about 90% of people on that platform are just lurkers. They're just yep. there, they're consumed, <laughs> they're kind of hide, they, they don't even have a profile picture. They don't want to... They don't want to be called lurkers. They say they're silent consumers. My I'm neighbor, sure my neighbor. That, but they're not standing up to say who they are. So we're going to call them lurkers uh, until they identify themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's 90% of the people on these platforms. Yes, yes. I'd say about 9% are mm-hmm. people that engage. So like they'll comment on a post or they'll, you know, come interact or like or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's like 1%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot who create and those people set themselves apart so much, even if it's not that much creation, honestly, even if it's not that good, you are still setting yourself apart. So just understand the value, the value and power of content creation. Next, how do you go about doing that? People get very overwhelmed with this. I still get overwhelmed with this, but the reality is you are an expert on you. A lot of people feel like in order to post content, I have to be an expert. I was told at a younger age, like I, I told a mentor, I want to be a consultant someday. He was like, well, Blake, you have to be an expert. And this time I was in grad school, and so I still had a lot to learn. I was like, what? What am I an expert in? And I thought about it, and it dawned on me. Being a confused teenager, I was a really good expert in that. I knew a lot about how to be confused as a teenager. <laughs> I've been there. We've all been there. <laughs> well, I'm not help confused teenagers. Oh, okay. I can go work with high schools, community colleges, universities even. And so the point I'm trying to get at is, is expertise is relative. At 25, no, I didn't have much to offer a Fortune 500 CEO, but I can help a 16-year-old, right? I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of where they are. And so when you're creating this content and you're thinking about being an expert, just look back and see who's right behind you. Because no matter where you are in your life or your career, Yes, you are behind someone, but you're also ahead of others. And so finding ways to reach back and help someone who's back there is a really great way to create content, first of all. Secondly, with the expertise point, again, you are an expert on you. You can tell your story and extract the principles from that story Mm -hmm. and apply them in the lives of others in practical ways. So it's not just about you, but you are that starting point and the other person is the end point. And the last thing I'll say is I'll try and give you guys a, a framework for how to create content. This is something that's helped me, and I'll use an example of a piece of content I created. So the first thing you want to do, as I said, if you're an expert on you, is take your experiences, right? We all have experiences. It's a very broad concept, right? So let's just take the experience of we've all been in school, and someone has asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? Pretty, pretty bland experience. It's not going to make for the greatest piece of content. What my experience of that looked like was when I was in college, I studied political science and people would ask me, hey, Blake, what what office do you want to run for when you graduate? Mm -hmm. And that was the experience. If I wrote about that as a piece of content, not that interesting. So the next point is the perspective that you have gained on that experience. Mm -hmm. So when people would ask me that at the time, I would say, I I don't know. I mean, I still have so much to learn. I I don't want to get into a role and 
fail and let people down just because I was trying to get into this, you know, position. That was the perspective I had. Over time, I started to realize about four or five years later that it's not about the position I'm pursuing. It's about the person I'm becoming, right? So that was my perspective as it grew. And then the lesson became, yeah, hey, don't pursue position just because. Develop your character, be the right person, and then you will naturally find yourself in those leadership roles. Cool, that is a better post. So I've got this experience, I'm telling a story that is relatable, you can understand it. There's a perspective there that has grown, and then there's a lesson. Now where you really become an effective content creator is when you can start taking those lessons and applying them in the mm -hmm. proper context of who your audience is. So on yeah. LinkedIn, I talk to salespeople. So I have that same story, except now I say to the SDR, the entry level salesperson, Mm -hmm. Don't fixate on becoming an AE at the detriment of your development. Mm -hmm. You want to be the best salesperson you can be. What good is it to become an AE in six months only to get fired six months after that when you can be an SDR for 12 months and then you can be an AE for a long time because you've succeeded in those skills. Mm -hmm. So basically it's just that, like finding the ways to find your experience, the perspective on that, mm -hmm. a lesson and then applying it in the in the proper context. Yeah, people love stories. And then George just said, yeah, love this, so true. Even the neuroscience backs this up. People love stories. We connect to each other through stories. People do not want to be sold to, people want to be related to. So, you know, I mean, I think that's just part of personal branding. Like when I teach my clients about, um, you know, when I coach them or on my LinkedIn courses about your personal brand, like, who are you, you know? Like, I mean, because like, there. I'm sure there's many financial coach, but why would people want to work with me? So it's really your personal brand. Like, who are you? Like, you know, how can you relate to them? What is your story? So people want to be able to know you, trust you, and then, you know, know that you will continue showing up for them. So I think that's part of why you have to constantly show up on social media as well. So yeah, this is, this is really awesome. And then just try to figure out like, how can you share your story and then kind of you know, like kind of uh, integrate that with the work that you do, but then it's not like, hey, this is my services, whatever. But if you're able to learn how to do that in stories, that would be that's the best way to relate to people. Okay, by the George asked, by the way, this is why they have discovered the reason why sharing cats and dogs on social media has always been a win because many people have pets or have a pet. I have two dogs, I love them. Relatability is key. Awesome words, Blake. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know about posting too much uh, dog pictures or cat pictures on LinkedIn, but, but yeah, I do share the one. Yeah, I do share. Yeah, I do share sometimes uh, my dog pictures on LinkedIn. Okay, so um, um, yeah, so yeah, tell me, you went to politics, so you ran for state senate. Okay, I want to hear about that. <laughs> so before, before we get into that story, I just wanted to okay. say point out stories. George, you're absolutely right. Narrative is how humans best mm -hmm. develop and capture information. Um, and if you're struggling with story creation, just remember there's three really key concepts to a story. Mm -hmm. You have a character who knows what they want and overcome mm -hmm. some sort of adversity to get there. Mm -hmm. It's more complex than that. If you're interested in that, you can check out A Hero's Journey or um, Face of a Thousand Heroes by Joseph Campbell. Kind of goes into detail. Disney, they use this in every single one of their movies. In fact, they tried once to not go with this structure and it flopped and they had to redo the whole movie. <laughs> um, the stories are simple, but they are powerful. Yep, um, exactly. 
Another great book is called uh, Made to Stick. For those that don't know, uh, Chip Heath and Dan Heath are brothers. They wrote this book called Made to Stick. And mm -hmm. it helps you make your ideas uh, more sticky. And they have this acronym they go through. Uh, it's called Success. And I read this book when I was 17. And mm -hmm. this is the same copy I've had since. And it's been a fantastic book. But they start by telling you that keep things simple, um, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional, and use stories. You don't have to do every single one of those for every single idea. It's some combination of yourself. Some combination of those are going to make for a more sticky story. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Now, for the, the politics thing. So, as I mentioned, I read that book when I was 17. I actually read it. Um, it was recommended by a friend at a political event I went to, the very first one, um, as a teenager. And I was uh, a senior in high school. I was watching the 2008 presidential election. And I remember thinking to myself, because high school wasn't the greatest experience for me, so I kind of just started taking it seriously as I was leaving. I was like, where can my skills mean the most for the most? Because I knew I was going to have to leave and do something in the world. And Okay, so how can I help people? And I had grown up doing public speaking, but never thought about it as anything more than just a hobby. But here I'm seeing these two candidates, and particularly Barack Obama, use rhetoric to galvanize people, to, to set a vision and to allow people to pursue it and achieve it. And so I thought to myself, you know what, maybe, maybe I can do politics. And we had this like mock election in my senior um, American government class and I, I won. And it's so funny that I won because I went against like the captain of the basketball team and like the popular girl and like we won because we had a better campaign not because it was just a popularity contest, which is impressive when you're 16, 17, 18 years old. So after that experience, I went to college and um, continued to pursue politics, continued to study it. It was my major. Um, mm -hmm. I was a school board member at my community college, which is a fantastic experience. Um, I was able to go to DC and, and lobby members of Congress on community college issues. We went to San Francisco for a Congress and met with um, executives from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So exposure to these opportunities that I would not have considered otherwise from my community college. Mm -hmm. Then I went to the University of Illinois, continued to study it. After college, I worked as an intern in our state capitol where I was working directly with members of our state legislatures, so state representatives, mm -hmm. state senators. And I got a firsthand look at what that process was like, the process of creating policy and affecting people's lives. And it hit me in a powerful way how impactful these policies are on people, more, more impactfully on future generations. So I got to help create some of the bills for these members. And I got the privilege of sharing that information with their constituents and newsletters and press releases and things of that nature. And so it dawned on me that the decisions that were being made in 2012, 13, were going to be disproportionately um, effective on generations to come. And so it was frustrating me because those, those people, those young people didn't have advocates in this process. So you got a bunch of 50, 60, 70 year olds making decisions that really aren't even gonna affect them that much. They're gonna affect the 20, 30 year olds that are coming down the way. And so with that, I took that as a motivation and 
when I went through grad school, I decided I wanted to, to run for office. I didn't run for Congress because I wasn't old enough. I didn't run for anything local because that wasn't where my passion or my uh, perspective was. I ran for something at the state level because that's what I knew. And the state representative in my area was my friend, actually was, was going to be my campaign manager, but then ended up getting appointed and became the state representative herself. It was really cool. So really at that point, the only thing left for me to run for was state Senate. And it sounds like a lot, it was a lot, um, but you learn a lot about yourself throughout that process. And so I raised you know, close to $10,000. I had over a hundred volunteers. I was talking to my community about, you know, basically waking up to the, the political realities of our situation as a state. A lot of people had just become dormant. Illinois sucks, it's just the way it is and the way it's gonna be. Well, the 20 somethings out here, we can't afford for it to just suck. We have to do something about it. And so I was very uh, mindful to try and galvanize the youth in my community and I, I did that. That was one of my goals. The other goal was winning, did not accomplish that goal, but that's okay because I, I learned a lot about myself, about the process, and I wouldn't recommend everyone run for office, but I would recommend everyone understand their civic responsibility. We live in a, in a country where you are allowed to participate and your voice matters more than you know and take it from someone who is a former candidate. People listen to you. You just gotta be loud enough and show up in the right places. But these candidates, no matter how big and powerful they seem, if there's one thing they care about, it's a constituent. So yeah, that was my political experience. And it's very interesting how that all segued into what I do today. Mm -hmm. Got it. Awesome. So, all right. So why don't we talk about, that's really great that you have experienced. That's very interesting. Um, so how, why don't we talk about, I know we work together, you know, quite, for quite a bit. So um, if you can just share, like, how has our financial coaching helped you, you know, and then like, how has it been like for you? And then like, what were the changes that has really benefited you? Adam just asked, how am I going to fix Illinois' debt and pension system? Oh, um, let me go back. Okay. Keep meeting with Christine. Um, there's a there's a number of different streams of conversation we can go down with that question. For those that don't know, <laughs> Illinois is um, it's a great state, but it has its own fair share of problems. And one of those problems is they um, they owed people money for jobs that those people did, and then they decided, you know what, let's not pay them this year. Or let's just borrow money from the future and, and pay them back. And so essentially what happens is there's like a $150 billion liability that the state has, which is debt. And when you're in debt, whether you're a person, college student with a new credit card or a state, debt is not a great thing for you. And so basically Illinois is like bleeding cash and they find new and creative ways each year to tax people. But that is really just like a, a band-aid for the situation. Um, one of the things they need to do is sucks to say, but like, stop giving people pensions. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. Not hating on you if you have a pension, God bless you, that's great. I don't think people in my generation are really gonna get them though. Um, moving right along. So how did it feel working with you, Christine? It was fantastic. Um, I was able to do it with my partner, Annie, and you know, it was very revealing. Um, one of the things I will say is, if, if you have the privilege of working with Christine, it's more than just money. Mm -hmm. It's about mindset. And if you don't get your mindset right, or at least start to understand it, you're not going to get the money stuff right. 
I'm sorry. You're just not. And that's something I'm willing to argue on. So if someone wants to come in here and say, it's not about mindset. You just got to do the math. All right. If you think so. But there's this thing called limiting beliefs. And if you don't deal with them, you can have all the math in the world. You just won't be adding up much money. And, you know, for me, it was revealing some of those things. It was me understanding what what about my upbringing and the way I interacted with money is still impacting me today. It was like financial therapy, really. <laughs> it was more yeah. therapy than coaching. Um, and so we spent a good amount of time on the practical aspects of budgeting, assets, liabilities, understanding your net worth, tracking and recording your expenses. That very much helped have perspective on where money was coming and going. But that doesn't save you unless you deal with, okay, am I allowed to be wealthy? Do I, can I pursue wealth? Is, does that make me an evil person? Mm-hmm. These are the questions people need to ask themselves. And Christine can do a, a wonderful job of helping you do that. And so whether it's Christine or whoever is in your life, like, again, goes back to asking powerful questions. You ask mm-hmm. right questions, you get the right answers. So now, instead of asking questions like, how am I going to how am I gonna pay the bills this month? How am I going to make ends meet? Like, no offense, but those aren't the questions I want the answers to. I want the answers to... Uh, where am I going to invest $100,000? Uh, what 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 uh, what mutual fund should I start looking at? Right, and it's like, no, I'm not there yet. But by asking the question, I can start to get those answers and get them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that was the power of those uh, interactions, Kristen. So again, it's about self awareness, knowing who you are. Like you know, like because like a lot of my clients, like I've had clients who are in like they're having a hard time getting a better job because they don't feel they're worthy of it. So, and then that's very integrated to each other because then if you don't feel rewarding for a better job, how can you get higher pay, you know? So then that's usually boils down to their history too. They probably weren't, they never felt they were good enough. Their parents never raised them well, never nurtured. So there's a lot of these stuff there to go through. So I really appreciate that. And then it was really fun to like work with you and, um, you know, Annie. So, <laughs> okay. So um, do you have any more last words about, you know, just overall selling yourself, finances, whatever to people before you share with people how, how they can find you? I um I will do that. And before that, this is something mm-hmm. that came to mind. Uh, it's a poem that came to mind when we started talking about limiting beliefs and self-sabotage. And mm-hmm. um, I believe the poem is called, I Bargained with Life for a Penny. And it goes as follows. I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is just an employer. He gives what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismay that any wage I had asked of life, life would have paid. So the point behind that poem is simply, you get out of life what you ask for. And a lot of people settle for less, unfortunately, whether it's because they were told that's all they can achieve, or whether because that's how they feel about themselves. Um, I, I played this fantastic game called the sales game. You should check it out. Even if you're not in sales, um, the sales game, you can just search that. And one of the things I learned about it was just, you'll get out of life what you ask for. So start asking better questions. And, um, yeah, I hope that resonates with people. But in terms of wrapping up, um, hopefully some of this was helpful for you. Again, we talked about the power of questions, how to sell yourself, how to create an interview cheat sheet. 
Um, if any of those things resonate with you and you'd like to learn more, I'd be happy to work with you. We can have a range of couple conversations and just kind of apply that practically in your life. You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, at uh, OneBrightBlake, all spelled out. And um, yeah, I guess most importantly, last thing is if anyone here is interested in a sales career uh, or developing sales skills, check out Victory Lap. Uh, we have, like I said, a sales boot camp. We've placed over 800 people in sales roles over the last four years. And I'm really proud of the work I do. I think that um, the way our, our company is structured, we are aligned with the right things that um, our clients and students mm -hmm. are aligned for, is getting you the not just the best job, but the best mm -hmm. career path that you can find where you're gonna be making money and stay a long time. So yeah, that's that's what I'm about. Hope that helps. Yep. I will I will tag you in this so people can just click on it and then connect with you if they need to. So I'm curious, you have a lot of books there. So how long does it take you to finish one book? Um, <laughs> it depends on the book and how quickly sometimes I'll pick up a book and I'll be reading it for like three months. Um, what something I learned though is like you don't have to read a book word for word, page for page, cover to cover for it to count. No one's mm -hmm. counting. Read a book for as long as you get something out of it. And when you get something out of it, put it down and go to the next one. Because the truth is, and this yep. is from what I've heard from authors, like 20% of the book is what is valuable. The other 80% is like fluff that you put in there <laughs> to make the book long enough to sell. So uh, um, yeah. that said, when I was in grad school, like 2014, 15, I was reading about 50 books a year, 40, 50 books. Wow. Now I've, I've since settled down. I have Audible credits I need to start using because if you don't use them, you you lose them. Mm -hmm. so I like just quit my Audible subscription. Mm -hmm. Now I have like thirteen yeah. free Audible books. So I got yeah, it. and I'm sending my way. Yep, and I'm not sure I told you about this, but there's a book called Mind Over Money by Dr. Brad Klontz. I actually interviewed him. He's a financial therapist. He's actually a real psychologist, and he focuses on finances. So Mind Over Money by Brad Klontz. I think you'll like that. It's, he talks a lot about money mindset. He's really big into that. So, okay, so thank you so much, Blake. I really appreciate this for coming on a Saturday. And then, um, yeah, so everyone just connect with Blake. I'll tag him. So feel free to connect with him afterwards. And then thank you so much, Blake. Have a great weekend. Thanks for seeing you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast episode. Please feel free to leave a review and follow me on LinkedIn. You can find me by my full name, Christine Tay. That's T-E-H. I am also on Instagram and YouTube under my company name, Tay Financial Coaching. You can check my services and LinkedIn online course by going to my website at www.tayfinancialcoaching.com. I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.